Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, if you noticed, I brought some snow with me. I decided to be generous and share with you because in Alaska, since I've come back to America, this has been one of our record-breaking years. We've already reached the limit, and it's only December, so thought I would share a little bit with you. <laughs> um, you're welcome. My name is Kenzie Bierkin, and I am a missionary through the Assemblies of God. Um, I also am cousins with Pastor Austin, so yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I it's great to be here in one of our local churches because I just believe so much in the in the importance of the local church. Um, you know, I grew up in a small little Assemblies of God church, and um, I just know that God really uses the local church to transform communities and so also to transform nations. So I believe in it, and I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Now, let me tell you, missionaries are crazy about a few things, but one thing we're really crazy about are these little cards, prayer cards. So after service, I would love to give you one of these just as a reminder to pray for me because really prayers make a big difference. Now, I have the incredible honor of living and serving on a beautiful, sweaty island off the coast of Equatorial Guinea. Now, Equatorial Guinea is an interesting country because we're actually a set of five islands in the mainland. And where I live is the capital of the entire country, and it's on one of the islands, okay? Now, if you think that's strange, it gets more strange than that. We are the only country in Africa that speaks Spanish, okay? Gloria a Dios. <laughs> we have an interesting culture of Spain and Africa and animism and Islam and Catholicism. But all of that comes together, and that's what I call home. And one thing I love about home, the place I live, is the shopping. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about going down to Reed's or going to Costco, okay? So I literally have dreams, though, when I'm in Africa that I'm in Costco. Something about, you know, when you live on an island and they can't always ship things in, but Costco, you can always go and find things, okay? So that's the stability of it. I have dreams of it, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the African markets, okay? So imagine with me, that the sun is beaming down on you. And there's heat and there's humidity. And literally, I grew up in Alaska, so I didn't know that it was possible to sweat as much as it's possible to sweat. And from places that I didn't know was possible to sweat from, okay? But in the markets, they have people, they're pushing and they're crowding. And, and there's dead meat hanging up and flies. I mean, dead monkeys in the back. And, and there's people yelling, mira aquí blanquita, look here, little white girl. And, and there's people over there with, with papaya, mountains of papaya. I mean, it is a whole experience, okay? But on the other side of the meat market are the used clothes. Now, this is what's exciting. Literally, they bring in these big sacks of clothes, and they put them on the ground next to the trash, and then you get to begin the treasure hunt, okay? You pull out of these sacks clothing, and you're searching, and you're, it's this whole treasure hunt. And every once in a while, you'll find a pair of Nike pants, okay, for a dollar, or you keep searching. I mean, I don't know where they bring these sacks in. I don't know if they were once like 
aid clothes or they didn't sell at Salvation Army, so they sent them to Africa. I don't know where they come from, but I'm thankful they do because it is a treasure hunt. And when you're searching and you're sweating, then you ask the person standing there, ¿Cuánto cuesta? How much does this cost? Because, you know, you've worked hard for that treasure. And every once in a while, the person standing there will reply, I don't know. Once you have sweated enough, you don't settle for I don't know with that treasure in your hand. So you ask again, ¿Cuánto cuesta? How much does this cost? And the person says, I don't know. You can't buy it. And then your sweaty self realizes that the person standing there isn't the seller. They're the guardian. And they don't have the power to sell to you what doesn't belong to them. And that reminds me of another story in the Bible of someone who desired to buy something that was not for sale. So if you have your Bibles this this morning, would you turn to Acts chapter 8? We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Now let me give you some first uh, a historical context. The early church is expanding at this time, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. There's persecution that's happening in Jerusalem, and it's forcing all the apostles to scatter, which was actually a good thing, because this enabled the gospel to go to new areas and to new peoples. And Philip, he's arrived in Samaria, and he's preaching. People are getting saved. I mean, healings are happening. Evil spirits are getting released, and God is moving. And that's where we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 8, 9 through 20, where we're going to meet someone named Simon the sorcerer. So Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Verse 10. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astonished them with his magic. Verse 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip had performed. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's messenger, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon the sorcerer saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this money too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you, for you thought that God's gift could be bought. Well, just like the secondhand clothing in the treasures in the African market, there's there's just some things that can't be bought. When the sending church heard of what God was doing in Samaria, they sent help. They sent Peter and John. And let me tell you, when God's on the move, there's always more laborers needed, especially in Africa. That's a different sermon, okay? When Simon saw that the true power was being administered, he pulled out his leather satchel full of money like it was a sale on Black Friday. Now look, today, our culture is constantly trying to sell us things, amen? I've noticed since coming back to America, 
there's been a lot of changes, okay? Uh, but one thing I've noticed is these huge water bottles. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? These huge Stanley cups. This was not a thing several years ago when I left America. But now they're all the rage. I'm seeing them in all the stores. Uh, uh, and what makes a $40 cup so special? I mean, it's nice to have cold drinks and warm drinks, right? But I wonder if these brands are selling us more than just drinks. I wonder if they're selling us a sense of acceptance or belonging when everyone else has them. We're constantly being inundated with things to buy. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook. Facebook is full of ads of the newest, easiest way to lose weight, okay? Go on this diet. Try this pill. You don't even have to leave the couch. It's everywhere. Or the TV commercials. My goodness. You're trying to watch an episode of Dateline, and before the people solve the case, you have to solve world hunger, and you have to save the elephants, all before they even tell you how the case ends, okay? Our media's movies, agendas are being sold. We're constantly being barded with things to buy if you have the right amount of dinero, if you have the right amount of money. But church, the gifts of God cannot be bought. And you know what? They're so much better than anything that the world could try to sell us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to fill your life. That's a gift. And it's accessible to me and to you and to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to heal, to deliver people from demons, the power to witness boldly. None of that can be bought. Not even the greatest gift of salvation can be bought. In fact, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to buy eternal life. Forget your money. Your good deeds can't even do it. But the gift of having a relationship with God, of receiving the benefits of adoption into the family of God, all oh, the benefits of receiving his peace and his joy and his love, that's a gift. But the key word here is gift. They're gifts because of the giver, the generous, merciful giver that is our God. You see, the same use of this word here, gift, is also found in the passage of John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And you know the story. Jesus purposely traveled in her direction out of the way of what was convenient of the journey. And Jesus, with such gentleness and love, looked at this woman who had been cast aside by society, and he said, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, this woman, this encounter with a woman who had been pushed aside and shamed by society, you know what? She received the gift that day. And what was her response? She ran back to her village. She didn't just say, oh, thank you, Jesus. No, she ran, and she told the whole village about the giver. That's our God. Our God gives generously to those who ask with a pure heart. Now, when Simon the sorcerer, he pulled out his money and he asked Peter for a gift, uh, look what Peter says. 
Peter says, may your money be destroyed with you, verse 20, for thinking God's gift could be bought. Verse 21, you have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Verse 22, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and you're held captive to sin. Whew, that's a strong rebuke. Can you imagine if you asked Pastor Gary for something and in front of everyone he said these things to you? That, that's pretty strong. You have no share in this. I like what the Spanish version of verse 23 says. It says, In prisión de maldad veo que estás. In a prison of evil, I see that you're at. And this full of bitterness part, it's described as a gal of bitterness. And this is actually a Greek idiom. It's used to, to describe someone being envious or resentful of someone. And in this case, Simon was jealous of the apostle's power. But Simon had much to learn about the incredible gift of grace. Listen, church, the gifts of God cannot be bought. But what's the motivation of your heart today? You can receive them from a generous God, but he always looks your heart. Now let's keep looking. Oh, I love God's word. There's always so much more to impact. There's always so much depth. So who was this dude named Simon the sorcerer? Well, we read that he was pretty popular in the region of Samaria. People were amazed by, by Simon, okay? They, they saw his magical abilities, but we see a difference between him and Philip between the true power of God and the counterfeit power. Now notice, Simon arrived and, and he claimed to be someone esteemed. Simon bragged about himself. He, he gladly accepted the name great. Can you imagine if that was just your title? People just called you great. I mean, he, he claimed to have the power of God, but it was all about glorifying himself. Now Philip, Philip came in power. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that Philip came to obtain a title or a name or a reputation for his ministry or even himself. But with his words and with his deeds, he just preached the gospel. And who was glorified? It wasn't him. It was Jesus. The people of Samaria were amazed about what Simon could do. But when they experienced the true power of God, even Simon the sorcerer took note. The one who was once, catch this, the one who was once the source of amazement is now the one being amazed by the true power of God. Church, we're living in a time of great confusion. But the true power of God is always greater. And it's always, always, always going to glorify Jesus. When you've experienced the power and the presence of the one true living God. There's no confusion. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the God of power and of truth, of joy, of peace, and no counterfeit can come close to the true power of our God. The world's going to try to convince you of the power of lesser, lesser gods, of quick solutions when you're tired of waiting on God for a breakthrough. But remember, church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Cross Lake Christian, 
We're not a powerless church. We're a church of Pentecostal power. (laughs) Do you believe that this morning? We're not a powerless church. And it's time to rise up in the authority of Jesus and begin to pray and worship in a way that reminds us that it's our God who is mighty to save. It is our God who is the only truth, and he's the only life, and he's the only way. And it's our God who defeated death, hell, and the grave. We need a shift in our heart that says, Jesus, in this situation, would you bring the breakthrough, but that you might be glorified through it. The glory isn't for me. I'm not here to build a name for myself. It's, we're here to bring God glory. And you know what? God is the only one who is worthy of the glory truly. The power of our God is always greater, and it's always going to glorify Jesus. Now, on the islands where I live, we have a lot of animism and spiritism in witchcraft. And one might assume that since we are an island surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean, that most islanders enjoy the ocean and they swim in the ocean. Right? That, uh, that's a plausible assumption. But really, the vast majority of islanders do not. In fact, they don't know how to swim. Now, it, it, it would seem plausible that they would swim, but no. Most of them live in great fear of the ocean. They're afraid of the evil spirits that live in the waves. One time I was standing about waist deep with some local friends, and there was one of the tribes, and they were in a circle, and they were, there was a group of them, and they're splashing water all around. And my friend comes over to me. She said, Kenzie, do you hear it? I said, what? What am I listening to? And they're splashing and splashing, and water's going everywhere. She said, Kenzie, are you listening? Do you hear the music? I'm thinking, what, 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 what am I listening to? And then another person from another tribe ran up to this circle and said, stop, stop that music. You're, you're annoying the demons. They're going to come here. Stop it. And I'm thinking, the only one getting annoyed right now are my eyes because the salt water is burning. <laughs> but that's what they live in fear of, is the very ocean that surrounds them. And you know what? Even our ones who have accepted Jesus, they've accepted him, but they also still live in great fear that surrounds them. That's what we call syncretism, mixing of the old and blending with the new. Now, we just read that the people of Samaria were amazed at what Simon could do, and they believed that Simon's power was of God. It's important to see here that they thought this because true proper theological training had not yet arrived to the Samaritans. Therefore, they couldn't discern what was of God and what was of the devil. That was until Philip showed up and taught them the truth. I'm thankful that in Equatorial Guinea, we do have a small network of Assemblies of God churches. We have some few pastors, but they love Jesus And they want to serve him, and they want to see his kingdom expanded on the islands. And and we have leaders that I consider a privilege to work alongside of. But you know what keeps me up at night? It's all the false doctrines that are weaving their way across Africa. On the island where I live, I work with Muslim people. In fact, my first three years in Africa, that's all I did. I lived with an unreached people group that was 100% Muslim. 
But now I live in a land where I live in the Muslim part of town, but I also work in the area of theological training. A and we have a vision in Assemblies of God World Missions Africa, and that's to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. Now, without a church that has had proper training, theological training, we might see a church, but we're not going to see a healthy church. Right before I arrived on, on my first, this last term, there was a church that gathered at the Bible school campus on the island. Now, another assumption, we might assume that since it's on a Bible school campus, that there might be some good theology being taught, right? Well, here we go again. The pastor that day decided to put water bottles on the stage. This is not the American fancy water bottles. These are little plastic ones, okay? He put them on the stage, and he said, today is the day of blessing. You are to sow in your seed financially and then come start drinking. And once you've drank, then the double portion will come to you. Well, he was telling them all that their blessings were all confined in the water that was sitting on the stage and that everyone was to drink. Well, that word traveled um, of what he was doing and promising the congregation. And so another pastor confronted him and said, hey, that's not biblical. That's not good theology. You can't do that. And do you know what he did? I would love to tell you that he um, opened the Bible and realized, oh, I can't do this. This is not correct. <laughs> no, he, he told the church, hey, I'm leaving and I'm starting my own church. And anyone who comes with me will receive a double portion. So the majority of the church left the Bible school campus and started their own. But there was a really small remnant of that church that remained. And they said, hey, Kenzie, we know you just got here. We know your Spanish isn't all that great, but there's just this, this little group. This little group, um, they won't really mind that your Spanish isn't that great. There's just a few of them. <laughs> and they said, would you mind teaching there twice a month? And I said, yeah, of course. So that was the church that I taught at twice a month this last term. And let me tell you that even though they were a very small group, there was such a sovereign spirit of joy over them. And I, I, I don't understand, you know, the, the joy in the midst of their pain and their confusion. They just lost the pastor that they trusted. They just lost their whole community of believers. That, that, that was their community. But they stayed because they understood the difference. And God brought such a sovereign joy to them. Proper theological training was and is necessary but it's the power of God that's always greater than the lies of the enemy. And the remnant understood the difference. Now, if you look over here, that's them on the left. And they've grown quite a bit since I got there. But on the right, you'll see that's their tabernacle. They're getting their own church. It's so exciting that now they're going to be planting their own church and we're putting it up. I will say, in Bible school, they don't teach you how to build tabernacles. <laughs> so as a missionary, you just say yes to everything. So there I am just picking heavy stuff up and bringing it to them. <laughs> but it's so cool that God is doing that with the remnant. And I want to encourage you, church, the power of God is strong enough to transform any situation you're facing. He's a God of clarity He's not a God of confusion. He can take a broken situation and he can cause joy to flourish. That's what he does. Our God is greater and he turns those situations of pain into situations that bring him glory. 
He's done it in my life, and he's doing it in the islands of Africa. And I have faith to believe that he can do it right here in Cross Lake, Minnesota. Do you believe that? That's what he does. So finally, how does the story of Simon the sorcerer end? Acts 8, Acts 8, verse 24, Simon explained, Oh, pray, pray to the Lord for me so that these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. Verse 25, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. And they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. The end. That's it. We don't hear the end of the story of Simon the sorcerer. Did he repent? I mean, did he go back to following Jesus? Well, did he go back to glorifying himself? The Bible doesn't tell us. Some sources believe that he could have been the founder of the heretical teaching of Gnosticism. Other scholars think that he went to Rome and he became associated with a pagan woman. But regardless of what happened to Simon the sorcerer, that in the midst of his bad theology and his misguided heart, church, I believe that God still has power to save and redeem. I don't know why all the scholars on this passage assume the worst. I mean, we just read that he seemed like he wanted a repentant heart. And then verse 25 just says, well, the, the apostles just kept carrying on. They just continued on their ministry. They just kept going along village to village. But Simon, <laughs> what about Simon? I don't know if Simon repented. But I think it's possible. I think it's possible because I know of the gracious God that Simon once put his faith in. It's possible. The island where I serve in Africa and the islands nearby, they're full of this type of spiritism and witchcraft. In fact, the, the village elders of the south side of our island, they literally stand at the entrance of these villages and they say, don't even enter. Do not even walk into our village. They don't want a church anywhere near them. We have an island of Anavon that people are leaving that island. They're coming to the capital city. They're getting saved, but they're scared to death to go back because they have childhood stories of how demons just have, for generations have played with their family. In fact, there was scientists who came to that island, and they did the, they, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but they did all the rocks, and they looked at all that, and they found that the rocks were speaking, and they ran back and said, we don't want to do any more studies here on these islands. We will never come back. And these are scientists who, who often do not even believe in this type of thing. But the hope for Simon reminds me of one of our local pastors in Equatorial Guinea, and her name is Pastora Lucia. She works on a village on the north side of the island, and she is 62 years old. And let me tell you, this lady is one tough cookie. So she has been a pastor with us for, for eight years now. So it wasn't until her 50s that she became a pastor. And she grew up in a family that practiced witchcraft. In, in these situations, there's often a generational passing on from grandmothers to daughters to granddaughters of charms and powers 
And, and Lucia, she says she knew she was demon-possessed, and she, she knew they had the power to harm her. But with great fear, she just wanted to appease her family. But one day, she heard music, and she liked to sing, and she was curious. Well, I, she heard the singing. So she began to follow the music, and the singing got louder. And so she kept following, and she kept getting a little bit closer. She had never stepped foot in a church, but that day, the singing brought her in. And when she realized, oh, this is a church, she stepped in, and that day God radically set her free from generations and generations of demons and witchcraft. And let me tell you, she left that church singing a new song that day. God saves and redeems. That's what he does. That's what he does. And so when she went home singing that new song, she told her mothers and her mom and her aunts and her uncles. She was so excited. But her family wasn't. And her whole family rejected her that day, except for her father. And so as she would go to that church and she would learn about the stories of Jesus, she would come home and she would share with her dad. He was the only one willing to listen. And so for a year, she would tell him about the stories of Jesus. And she would tell him about this God and how he, he saves and, and, and how he was changing her life and how she was, she was being transformed. And then her dad got really sick. But three days before he died, he also accepted Jesus. And that's what God does. God still saves and redeems. That is our God. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to listen to Pastora Lucia. I want you to hear her for yourself. At 62 years old, every Salia. weekend, she goes with a machete and she clears a, the area for her church people to gather with her grandkids. So let's listen to Pastora Lucia. Saliendo un día a las 12 del día del terreno de la limpieza con los hermanos, yo pasé en la carretera y no sé, yo puedo decir que el Señor que me llevó ahí, de repente escucho dentro de mí, eleva la cara, yo le elevé, mira allá. Eh, me mostró Dios encima de las, de, de las casas, hay unas viviendas sociales que están después del pueblo y después de esas viviendas hay árboles grandes. El Señor me dice, Estás bailando, estás contenta del lugar que tú me has comprado, pero yo no quiero ahí. Allá donde están esos árboles es donde quiero que tú pongas mi iglesia y yo mismo edificaré mi iglesia. Me paré y me sorprendí y dije, pero ¿qué dice Señor dentro de ese bosque? Y no habló más, no me dijo nada más. Entonces cogimos el lugar, limpiamos, yo decía, Señor, ¿qué voy a hacer en ese bosque? ¿Cómo puedo yo empezar a trabajar en ese lugar? No tengo coche. Voy, todavía el terreno está así, no está bien uh, alineado y estoy subiendo los, los bloques poquito a poco. Estoy con los niños, más, tengo más niños y jóvenes en la iglesia. Sí, estoy muy contenta de hacer lo que hago. Porque muchas cosas he hecho en la vida, no he, no he visto nada mejor que servir a Dios y ser sierva de Dios. Yo soy esclava de Cristo y estoy muy contenta, de verdad. 
of all the acts of things to do in the world, I've never discovered anything better than to serve God and to be a servant of God. Just love when she says that. It's people like Pastora Lucia that give me hope for the future growing church in Equatorial Guinea. She reminds me that God still has power to save and redeem. You know, so much of what I do in ministry in Africa is hospitality. And, and your home is the place where people show up any time of day. And that's where you host and you do ministry. And so often I have these women pastor in my house. And, and I look around and I'm just amazed because I've seen how God has plucked women from all across these islands, from generations and generations of witchcraft. And he's pulled them out of that, and he's saved and redeemed them, and now he's put them on this village to tell that village about Jesus. And he's plucked them out, and he's set them free, and then he sent them to that village to tell others about Jesus. And then I'm reminded, it's a great privilege I have to lift tabernacles with them, even though I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's a privilege to sweat alongside of these women. It's a privilege to teach theology and discipleship in our schools and in our churches and in the villages. It's a privilege to share strategies of how we reach Muslim people. It's a privilege to pray and to dance together until we see breakthrough. It's a privilege to sacrifice life in America to go on a sweaty little island off the coast of Equatorial Guinea. But I'm also reminded of the absolute essential need of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whether I'm in Costco or whether I'm walking down island-filled roads with lava rock, I'm aware of how much greater the power of God is than anything that this world could ever sell us and how worthy Jesus is of receiving all the glory. Church, would you stand me with me this morning? like Christian? What would cross like look like if each of us walked in the power and authority of our God? What would this church look like if each of us had a heart that was focused on glorifying Jesus and not making a name for ourselves? What would cross like Christian look like if each of us operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and instead of buying into the lies of culture, we invested our money in building the kingdom? What transformation would we see if we lived so missionally to believe that today God still has power to save and redeem your family and he still has power to save and redeem your neighbors and your co-workers and your classmates in every village on every island off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean that bears its name, Equatorial Guinea. I believe that God still has power to save and redeem the prodigal sons and daughters. I believe that God has not called us to be passive Christians. He's called us to be active participants in the Great Commission here in Cross Lake and across the world. I believe God wants to use you. God wants to use you to reach this city. Are you open to that this morning? If you want to be an active participant in this, would you just raise your hand really quickly? I just want to pray over us this morning. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in Cross Lake. Lord, I thank you that you are worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor. So, Jesus, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. Lord, I thank you that the gifts of God cannot be bought because you are a generous giver. Lord, I thank you for your generosity, God. We're not worthy to receive it, but, Lord, you've lavished it upon us. So thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would purify our hearts this morning, that, Lord, we would have hearts that are pure. Lord, that you would search our hearts, God. Lord, I thank you that in the time of confusion that we're living, that you are a God of clarity. Lord, I pray for whoever's walking in a situation where they need the, the, the wisdom and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would bring them clarity this morning, God. When they're asking you for an answer, God, would you show them your divine direction? Lord, I pray that you would show them that, Jesus. And, Lord, I thank you that you're, stay, you're still saving and redeeming. God, it's what you're doing. So right now I pray, oh, Holy Spirit, that those who are lost in this community, Lord, the prodigal sons that have rejected you, God, I pray that you would call them back home. Lord, I pray that you would save and redeem them. Lord, I thank you that it's not too late. Lord, I thank you that you are a God with open arms. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would begin to stir hearts right in this moment. We pray just for a stirring of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that you would call them back home. And, Lord, I pray that you would use us, Lord, as vessels of your Holy Spirit to reach this community. God, I pray that you would use us to be people who are open to divine interruptions, that we would be people who would speak when your Holy Spirit tells us to speak. God, I pray that we would be good vessels. Lord, I pray for divine opportunities even this week, God, in the new year. God, I pray that Cross Lake Christian would be a church who would be fixated on what you're doing, God, in this new year of filling this church with people who are getting saved and redeemed. Lord, it's not about filling a sanctuary. It's not about filling a chair. It's about seeing transformation happen in this city, God. It's seeing lives saved and redeemed and pull out of the pit of hell. Lord, it's about seeing eternal destinations changed. Lord, we thank you that you are not finished with this city. Lord, we thank you that you're not finished with this church. Lord, I thank you that you're not finished with the islands of Africa. God, I pray that there would be an awakening on the islands. God, I pray where there have been generations of darkness, Lord, there has been generations of witchcraft. God, we ask that you would shine your glorious light upon these islands, God. I pray that the truth of the gospel would be released on these islands, God. I pray that you would continue to do what you're doing, God, in greater measure. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are a miracle-working God. Lord, that you are a God of power and of might. And, Lord, you are a God who is worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor. Lord, I bless this congregation in the name of Jesus. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us this week and in this new year. God, I pray, make us more aware of your presence in this new year. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your holy name. Amen.